morning and welcome to the podcast of the Franchise Business Network in Pittsburgh. We're talking today about new accounting standards about revenue recognition, which are having a dramatic impact in the field of franchising. With us today are three distinguished panelists, John Gutaski of the Fox Rothschild Law Firm, Jeff Dean of BKD CPAs and Advisors, and Jim Powers of Franchiser Ablack Holdings. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to be here. Good morning. John Gataski, new standards uh, have been adopted by the Financial Accounting Standards Board, or FASB for short. It's known as FASB 606, and they change how revenue must be recognized and how this will impact franchise disclosure documents, or FDDs for short. Um, as I understand, they'll require that the FDD be audited, a sort of audit within an audit. What can you tell our listeners? Well, some of the changes have serious, and, and I honestly believe, unintended side effects that could cripple franchise or businesses and, and make it more difficult to attack fran- to attract franchisees mm-hmm. uh, for those franchisors. Uh, the International Franchise Association, or the IFA, which is our industry, Franchise Industry Trade Association, is really trying to convince lawmakers that some relief is, is necessary. Uh, still, we need to deal with FASB 606 as it now exists. And uh, let's start with the FDDs. Uh, now, they're mandated by federal law, and they give prospective buyers the material information that's really needed to weigh the risks and benefits of an investment in a franchise. Mm-hmm. Regulations require franchisors to provide all potential buyers with this disclosure document containing specific details about the offered franchise, its officers and affiliates, financial information, and beyond that, some states have their own specific rules that have to be followed. Mm -hmm. Now, under FASB 606, a franchise no longer may recognize a franchisee's investment as revenue right away but has to amortize it over a much longer period of time. As potential franchisees review the FDDs, this new standard is really going to have a significant and material impact on the financial statements included within that FDD document. Hmm. For public companies, they've already begin, uh, begun to adopt the uh, 606 standard this fiscal year, and non-public companies have to do it for the next uh, fiscal year. Jim Powers, from the perspective of an owner of several brands, what are your concerns? Well, you know, the FTD, uh, FTC requires that an FDD be audited and contain three years of financial statements. So, you know, where I draw the line is what it's used for. For the most part, an audit should provide a good forensic deep dive to point out things that are good, bad, or otherwise, so you can improve your business, Right. But the difference here is that the FDD is being used for something very different. I mean, it's a sales tool. It's to help a potential buyer to determine the financial condition of a franchisor. So I'd like to see the FDD audit be a bit more minimalistic in in its approach, but of course follow the standards and guidelines. So, Jim Powers, do you think candidate buyers actually understand the audit portion of the FDD? You know, that, that's a great question because there's really two distinct groups of potential franchise candidates. You know, one's a, a, a group or an individual who wants to get involved with a particular franchise on their own, kind of a hometown hero. Mm-hmm. And there are others who see it as part of an investment portfolio. They're really the ones that have more an investment mentality, you know, understand those audits, get their heads around it, and value of that deep dive. Jeff Dean, your thoughts as an auditor? 
Well, really, the, the audited financial statements within the financial disclosure document should not look any different than, than the financial statements that are given to a bank or shareholders or investors. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the FDD audit should not be any more intrusive or, or overboard, but there are certain required disclosures within financial statements that, that continue to, to, to be needed, and, and that does not change. And also, the, the audit firm is required to follow our auditing standards. So really, the, the only additional uh, responsibility or difference that you would see uh, in an FDD is our requirement to read the entire document uh, to make sure that there isn't anything that's inconsistent or significantly different than, than our knowledge of the company. Jim Powers. Well, you know, when a potential candidate's looking at those statements to determine the financial condition of the franchisor from a balance sheet perspective, you know, there might be some points that they focus on, like increasing assets, uh, increasing stock, uh, equity, or more cash than debts. You know, the same thing on the income side, statement side. You know, of course, more revenue derived from royalties, system income. Uh, than from selling franchises, of course. And, mm -hmm. and however, the new re revenue recognition standards, specifically how franchise fees are now recorded, have the potential of severely and negatively affecting buyers who are trying to assess that risk. Yeah, Jim, that's a good point. In my experience, what larger and special master franchisees are looking for is the potential risk factor of the parent. They're the ones taking that deep dive you mentioned earlier because they've got the resources to help with the analysis. Well, that's right, and, and you know we've even seen industry research even recently which says that due to the, you know, the FASB requirements and these required changes in revenue recognition, roughly 930 brands would be at serious risk of bankruptcy or even closure, uh, and up to 1,400 franchise small businesses would face closure causing about 1.1 million job losses. Right, and that's because there could be big hits to the balance sheet if the FASB recognition standard is not interpreted correctly. In other words, it would appear that a liquidity crunch occurred in these companies overnight when it never did. And at the same time, if a franchisor decides to restate its financials without thinking all of this through, it's, it's just going to look like the financials fell off a cliff. Well, yeah, and let's remember that half of the retail jobs in the U.S. are franchise-driven. You know, while a majority of the franchise brands can handle the negative impact, they might have to curtail growth significantly to account for the revenue hit, and potentially as many as 35,000 new small businesses would not open, and about 364,000 jobs would not be created annually. So for startups, uh, almost all of the 300-plus startup brands each year would never even get off the ground. So here's why, and here's the math. In year one, if you take an initial franchise fee, let's say $36,000, uh, over the life of a 10-year agreement, that's 3600 in revenue, of course, in one year that's recognized. Now, you can only put $3,600 uh, into that statement and will pay about $1,400 in taxes on average. Uh, plus, you'll incur all the significant pre-opening costs. Those don't go away. So a franchisee uh, might consider the $36,000 initial franchise fee you know, as, as a significant um, cash outlay and a lot of money to them. But from a franchisor's pers perspective, I mean, they might burn through all, all of that and, and uh, not way more in site selection, real estate, training, 
year two really crunches the franchise or uh, on top of that and we'll recognize another 3600 in revenue but under that tax law we can only defer the revenue for one year so we'd have to recognize the balance which would force us to draw cash from the business of about thirteen thousand dollars to pay just the tax portion of it hmm. which then leaves us about seventy two hundred dollars underwater in equity for year two and beyond so Jeff Dean until we get the change what's the prescription well the prescription is going to be uh, the franchisors are going to need to look at the franchise fees collected and, and put them into separate categories or separate buckets if you want to use that term uh, they should carve out amounts for services that they would sell otherwise uh, as then they would be able to recognize that piece of revenue as the services are, are being performed as opposed to it all being included into one group and, and deferred and amortized over the, the license period. So ultimately, um, they should try to identify as many separate performance obligations as possible uh, within, the, within the accounting standards uh, to speed up the, the revenue recognition. And this would result in a much smaller unallocated balance of revenue to spread out over the term. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Jeff. Some potential performance obligations that aren't directly tied to the brand uh, are things like site selection, floor layout for ADA or OSHA compliance, project and construction management, exactly. training. Yep. Uh, for a food franchise, or maybe a portion of that fee can be limited to confidential recipes or, or donut batter or the correct temperature of the cooking oil. Things like that, are, are those the types of buckets that we're thinking about? Absolutely correct, yes. Jeff Dean, from an accounting perspective, if a company carves out as much as possible and recognizes less over the term, can it still report the entire franchise fee on its FDD? Uh, as I said earlier, if you look at the overall audited financial statements within the FDD, it, it, it is consistent with any other financial statements and should match the accounting principles uh, adopted by the franchisor. With that said, within the document itself, there are opportunities uh, to report the total amount of franchise fees uh, committed to within a year and, and how uh, those franchise fees are being accounted for. Well, that's true. And, and if an initial franchise fee is, again, we'll say $36,000, maybe now you change it to $10,000 plus $26,000 for the other obligations. Now, certainly we haven't done that. And it's not ideal, but it's what's being discussed right now by franchisors. Yeah, and I think that's where you're going to see a, kind of an administrative or a logistical nightmare or headache. Uh, under the new standard, you have an option to adopt for, under the full retrospective approach where, where you ultimately recast revenue and expenses for all periods, all prior periods presented. Or you have a modified retrospective approach where you would only apply it, the new standard uh, to contracts entered into after the effective date of the new standard. But I think what we'll see is the full retrospective will probably be utilized more often and uh, will result in, again, big headaches as, as uh, they will need to revisit all the franchise agreements that are still outstanding and recast how much should have been recorded under the new standard and, and break them into their components and determine what amount is left uh, to spread out as deferred revenue and, and ultimately uh, I think what we're going to see is this is going to be a nightmare uh, for those adopting. Yeah, Jeff, I think it is going to be a nightmare. I, I mean, it goes into effect this fiscal year. So if you have a franchise agreement in year five of a 10-year agreement, you've now got to recast it for those five years. Uh, many people are even suggesting that a franchisor do a full retrospective review 
So it doesn't look like that agreement suddenly fell off a cliff. Well, if you have stores uh, that are in year five of a 10-year term, too, and transfer the location, John, how do you treat the deferred revenue? I'll turn that one over to Jeff. That's a good question. Uh, I'm not aware that uh, that's covered in the, in the new standard. I think ultimately uh, what we'll see, as oftentimes with new standards, is that it will get framed by the industry practice. So as the IFA provides guidance, as we see financial statements uh, being issued and, and the industry adopts the standard, we will ultimately get our guidance uh, from what's being practiced. Jeff Dean, what are some of the most important issues when it comes to impact on franchisees? So, so franchisees, uh, there's the good news, and that is that the impact mm. really should uh, should not be significant. Uh, as an example, if you take a coffee franchise, uh, and if you think about it, about 99.99% of what they do is sell coffee, and they record the revenue at the point of sale. And the only area for coffee franchisees that could see a change is if they were to offer some type of loyalty program. As an example, let's assume that the coffee franchisee has a coffee club for its customers where you buy three cups of coffee and you get the fourth one free with your coffee club card. So ultimately in exchange for entering into the coffee club, the customer gets a special benefit. That benefit is a free cup of coffee. The new revenue recognition standard says that the franchisee has to carve out the value of that benefit, that free cup of coffee, and record it as deferred revenue, as a deferred revenue liability, and then recognize that uh, as people redeem their, their, their card for their free cup of coffee. And, and ultimately, the, the accounting guidance, as you look at it, calls that special benefit a, a material right. So, Jeff, what actually makes it a material right? Basically, it, it is the, the customer receiving something that's special or, or unique. By entering into the, the program, the average consumer for that store is getting something where the normal person cannot get. Uh, did the customer have to enter into a tra transaction to get that, that right for a free cup of coffee, or could they have received it online by, uh, by clicking onto a coupon? So, so the key point there is, is, is it something unique that, that your normal, everyday customer doesn't have access to? And the reason why they uh, are getting this free cup of coffee is, is that they've done something, such as purchased the original three cups. Another point to, to consider is that in recording the liability, there, there is a, a likelihood of, that you have to figure out what is the likelihood that the customer will redeem the points or, or get the free cup of coffee. And maybe it's a 60% likelihood, then ultimately only 60% of the total value is recorded as deferred revenue. And that deferred revenue does not become revenue until the person redeems their loyalty card uh, for their free uh, cup of coffee. And, and for many, uh, we may find out that this whole uh, area is going to be immaterial and, and not an issue at all. Jeff, uh, is the likelihood based on historical performance? Yes, uh, typically yes. As an auditor, I would expect that the franchisee would present its data, explain its bonus point systems, quantify the number of points or the cards that are still outstanding, and determine, again, that percentage of likelihood that the points or, or the cards would be redeemed based on whatever historical data that they have. Well, that's true, and, 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 but for you know, larger franchises which have apps and so forth which can be tracked, 
uh, franchises would know how many points they have, making it a bit easier. But for businesses that just hand out uh, points and cards would require way more record keeping. Well, I, I agree with you there, Jim. And Jeff, I'm wondering, let's say I'm just starting, you know, a new buy four coffees and get one free loyalty program, for example. How at the beginning like that do I look at the likelihood of redemption at that stage? Well, ultimately, if you think about it, it's it's an estimate, and we're trying to figure out what's a reasonable estimate. So ideally, you would use historical data, and that would be the best predictor. Uh, but if you're starting a new program or if you're a new company and you don't have anything similar, you would most likely look at industry data. And you'd continue to utilize that, and then eventually what will occur is, is you will adjust that likelihood of redemption factor based on your own historical results as, as the program uh, continues throughout years. Well, we unfortunately are out of time for today. Listeners, be sure to check out our companion podcast about how FASB 606 changes how a franchise recognizes lease obligations. Again, a big shout out and thank you to our panelist, John Gutowski of the Fox Rothschild Law Firm, Jeff Dean of BKD CPAs and Advisors, and Jim Powers of Ablack Holdings.